open up to Matthew 28. This is where we're going to be this morning, Matthew 28. That's towards uh, the back. It will take us a little bit to get there, but that's uh, where we're going to be today. So we have been in this, ser- the, this series for the last few weeks, um, about a month and a half or so, looking at, talking about who we are, talking about what we believe, what we strive, who we strive to be, um, what's important to us. And so we've been talking about us. And the theme that has continuously come up over and over again as we have been in this series are things like intentionality and unity and grace and love, that if we're going to be a Christian community, we're going to need those things to be able to do this together. These are the markers of Christian community that we, that they are the markers of what we as individual Christians should be striving to show the world. So all the more so they should be what church community is grounded in. None of what we have covered, I think, in the last month and a half or so, I don't think is particularly revelatory, right? I, I think if you've been in church for a little while, I don't think there's anything I've gone over in the last month and a half that would be like shocking new information. Right. In fact, I, I, I actually say that when we go through our membership class, when somebody wants to be a member of CF and we talk about what does it mean to be part of this community? What does it mean to be a member of this church? I usually say the exact same thing, that the expectations for a member of CF is that you are a Christian seeking to actively engage in building up this community. So today we're going to continue the study and we're going to talk about as we talk about the church and the focus of the church. We're going to specifically talk about what is the focus and mission of Christian Fellowship Free Church. Why do we do what we do? What is the purpose of this church existing? What is it we are trying to do here? And I'd argue that every Christian, and therefore every church, is really pursuing the same mission, the same objective. Different churches state it differently, but ultimately we are all trying to do the same thing. We want to follow Jesus and do what he did, and we want more and more people to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, right? That, every church is pretty much striving to do the same thing. We just all say it and maybe go about it in different ways. So this week, we're going to talk about the mission of CF, the purpose of this church, and then next week, we're going to talk about the vision, basically the, the plan, the how to accomplish the mission, all right? So I'm going to pray, and then we will jump into uh, to Matthew 28. So please bow your heads and uh, pray with me. Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for rest and community. We thank you for giving us a place to live where we experience many different seasons and the transitions and the different times of year and all of these things that reflect and point us back to you, that this world, this creation, all of existence points back to you and your intentionality in creating us and all of this. And it points us back to you and reminds us of how good you are and how perfect and how creative and how wonderful and just good you are. You didn't have to give us color and smell and taste. You didn't have to make this world as creative and intricate as it is, and yet you did. All of creation reflects and glorifies and makes much of you. God, as we open up the word this morning and we talk about what it is we're striving to do here, why we are here as a community. God, I first thank you for this place, for this community, the fact that we can be here in this place and stand on the shoulders of generations of men and women who have been faithful to the gospel and faithful to continue to proclaim your goodness in this neighborhood. God, I thank you that you have given us the opportunity to gather together, that you are the God 
community, who brings people together, who binds people together. Lord, as we strive to grow in becoming more like Jesus and letting people know about Jesus, proclaiming him to the world, God, we need you. Because if you're not with us, it doesn't matter. If you're not with us and if we're not following after you, then what we are doing is pointless and vain. So God, I pray that you would help us to fix our eyes, fix our hearts, fix ourselves toward you, that we would focus on you in the way that we live and interact with each other and with the world around us, and as we do so, make much of you and glorify you. Lord, as I preach this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The mission statement of Christian Fellowship Research is becoming Christ-like, proclaiming Christ. What are we striving for? What's the point? Why do we gather? Why do we engage with one another? Why do we invest in one another? Why do we give of our time and our talent and our finances to grow in becoming Christ-like and proclaiming Christ? For a long time, decades, this phrase stood as the mission statement of this church. It got tweaked and changed a few different times, and then it got, a, got tucked away in a drawer for a little while, and then we dusted it off and reclaimed it, and I think it was in 2019 we did that. I love this. I love this four-word phrase because it's simple, but it speaks volumes about what the church is to be about, what the fellowship is about. And even that, even the fact that the name of our church is Christian Fellowship, I've never really talked about this, but as I thought about it as I was writing this, a fellowship is a training program, right? You get experience in a professional environment. You learn and grow and practice the things that you are studying to be. That's what we are. That's what this church is, is a, a place to learn and grow and practice and pursue the calling God has put on our lives as his sons and daughters. This fellowship is about striving to grow and becoming Christ-like and proclaiming Christ. We are a people becoming Christ-like. And I love that it's phrased becoming Christ-like, not that we are a people who have become it's not that we have arrived and this community is perfect and the most holy place in the world and we are the most holy people in the world because it's not true. It's a process. A process Christ is doing in and through us because more and more like becoming more and more like Jesus, the church word for that as we grow in more and more to be like Jesus, the church word for that is sanctification. It's a process that begins at the moment of salvation and continues until we meet Jesus face to face. Throughout that time, though, we will not perfectly achieve Christ-likeness here and now. Paul said as much in Philippians 3, as he talks about striving toward and all the things that he has let go of, uh, all of his reputation, all of the advantages, advantages he had as a Pharisee, and he lets go of that, and he says, I let go of all those things. I follow Christ that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, 
I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I have not arrived, I am not perfect, but I continue to press on towards becoming more and more like Christ. Becoming Christ-like starts with our relationship with Christ. As God does a work in our hearts to change us, to convict us of the areas of sin and the areas of hindrance to our relationship with him, we respond to those things, and life change begins to take place. We begin to see the areas in which we can grow, and God has given us tools to be able to do that. It's a process we are pursuing to live and serve the world. The process of wanting to be more like Christ in the way that we live, speak, think, act, letting everything be filtered through the reality of the gospel, being letting everything about our existence be filtered through the reality of our desperate need for the saving grace of Christ. So what does that mean? It means like we look at who Jesus is, And what Jesus did and still does today, and we try in our imperfect and flawed way to do likewise. 1 John 2.6, whoever says he abides in him, Jesus, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Ephesians 5.1 and 2, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus says in John 13, 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And then just a chapter later, Jesus once again says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Be imitators. Do as I do. Follow me. Over and over, the instruction is clear from Christ. To be a Christian is to learn from Jesus and do likewise. The church word, again, is to be a disciple. What is a disciple? The word disciple means follower, pupil, apprentice, one who follows Jesus, learns from Jesus, and takes what they've learned and attempt to live it out. It's not just head knowledge, it's not just storing information, but it's taking what you have learned and actually trying to live it out. Disciples are people who have a seriousness about following Jesus and make it, and that makes itself known in how we see the world, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we, how we treat each other, how we work. All of those things are affected by our relationship with Jesus. So if we're going to grow in becoming Christ-like as a church, this will take intentionality on our part. There's that word again. We aren't going to just wake up one day and be mature followers of Christ. We aren't going to just wake up one day and be imitators be imitators of Christ and be these mature, faithful disciples. Even after salvation, even after you get saved and you have this regenerated heart and you have these new desires and wants and hopes and Christ is doing a work in us to change everything about us and about the way that we interact with this world, even though we have been bought and our lives are now no longer our own, we have been bought by Christ, we will still continuously wrestle with the flesh, wrestle with our sin, wrestle with our rebellion against God. So then, it is a choice. Choosing daily, moment by moment, to pursue Christ. To start pursuing Christ, to be able to do that and do that well, it means we need to start with getting in the word. God has revealed himself to us and given us his word. And so if we want to know more about him, we're going to be the kind of people who get into the word and reading it, studying it, memorizing it, meditating, dwelling on it, because this is God revealing himself to us 
His will, his desire, his character is in this book. And so the more and more we can be people of the word, the more and more we can invest ourselves in it, the more and more of God we're understanding. And the more and more we can respond to his will and character. And as we are people of the word, word, we also want to be people who respond with prayer. Reading scripture and prayer, these are two halves of the conversation. Speaking with God, listening to him, pursuing him, pursuing communication between him and us. You want to continuously be communicating with him. If any other relationship in your life, if you just cut off communication, that relationship will die. So we continuously are communicating with him. He speaks through his word. He speaks even in prayer. We speak in prayer. It's going back and forth, responding to what he's teaching us, responding to what we're experiencing in this world, to what we're reading, offering up prayers of petition, offering up prayers of thankfulness, just engaging with him. And the more we engage in this connection and conversation and get engaged in a relationship with him, then we begin to see and understand more and more of the character and will of God. The more we look to Christ and we ask, okay, what did Christ do? How did Christ act? How did he move in these ways? And as you read the scriptures and you read the gospels especially and you look at, okay, how did Christ spend his time here? There's a lot of different things that will jump out at you over and over again. A couple of them. One is compassion. Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Matthew 14, 14, he had compassion on them, and so he healed their sick. Christ had compassion on his disciples, and the final hours before he goes to the cross, he is praying for his disciples, praying for protection over them. Over and over again, he's driven by compassion. That word is literally moved in one's bowel, basically to have a gut feeling, to feel it in your gut. This idea of sympathy and pity, a desire to help, to see someone in need, to see a problem and feel about it inside yourself so deeply you must respond. That's what drove Jesus in his ministry. He saw the hurt and pain and suffering that sin has caused in this world, and he was driven by compassion, this sense of longing to make something right and acting on it. He's driven by compassion. He's driven by love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It is of love that Christ goes to the cross because God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Compassion and love, they are drivers of the ministry of Jesus. We can't talk about ministry in general, specifically the ministry of Jesus, and not talk about service. Christ served. The verse I read earlier, that John 13 verse, it's him on his hands and knees washing the disciples' feet. Even the feet of Judas, just hours before everything is about to get turned upside down because of Judas' betrayal. In Mark 10, 45, Jesus said as much, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came with the objective to serve, and he does that ultimately by going to the cross in our place for us, paying the penalty for our sins so that we can have a right relationship with God. Compassion, love, service. These are the things that define Christ's ministry, and they're not, they're not the exclusive list. We could go on and on. These are the things that define Christ's life, and so we are to pursue them as well. Will we do that perfectly? No. But we do them in community. That's the thing. We are Christian fellowship. We are a collection, a relationship, a community of Christians doing this together. We engage in life together. We serve one another. We get to practice these things here amongst one another where there should be a built-in grace and mercy for one another as we learn together, knowing that none of us are perfect 
all of us have much room to grow and learn in. And we do this so that we can go out and be a beacon of light to the world, so that we can be a beacon of compassion and love and service and grace and mercy, and we can do that where it is dark and hard and scary. We come together, we serve together, we serve one another, we give of ourselves to one another to serve one another so that we can strengthen those muscles of service, strengthen those muscles of compassion and love and grace so that when we go into the world, we're a little bit stronger. Every day growing, every day learning, every day taking another step toward another, taking another, taking on another opportunity to step into God's will in our lives. I had a professor in college who talked about Christian ministry, and he said, he used to say Christian ministry for him, the way he would explain it is one hand on God's word, one hand on a person, bringing them together for life change. It's getting to know God's word in such a way you could explain it to people and help them grow, getting to know a person so well that you know how to best apply scripture to their lives to bring those things together to walk with them in life change. I think the same can be said for being a disciple, even just in our individual lives. It's having the word of God, pursuing the word of God, and applying it to our lives to see life change. It's learning how to grow one step at a time toward maturity in Christ. It's not just, I'm going to work harder, I'm going to be a better Christian, I'm going to try and do better. Rather, it starts with God doing a work in us to change us and allowing him to do that work in us, even when it's hard and messy and we don't quite want to give up control. We do so to allow him to soften us, to change us, to make us more and more into his image. We see in the death of Jesus where all the things about him come together so clearly, the service, the compassion, love, grace, mercy, we see all of those things, and we see in the death of Jesus that all of these things, have inevitably, they get hard and messy. But from them can come beauty and joy and new life. Yes, it is going to get messy when we are invested in each other's lives, and we are trying to show compassion, when we're trying to show mercy, and we're trying to serve one another, and it's hard. Because we haven't arrived yet. Because we are still battling with the flesh. And so things are going to get messy. We're going to step on each other's toes. We're going to get... We're going to get into each other's space, and that's why we need the grace. We need the mercy for one another. That's why we are people striving to grow in becoming Christ-like. We haven't arrived yet. And when we can remember that and give each other a little more grace, give each other a little more room to grow, we can grow together. And so we are striving to become, to grow in becoming Christ-like, and we're also, the second half of that mission statement is proclaiming Christ. To proclaim means to share publicly. Often in preaching, but not exclusively, so you're not off the hook. God has invited us to be the ones who share. God has invited us to be the ones who tell, who preach, who proclaim Jesus and the message of the gospel. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as, our serv- as our, your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. For we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Paul says what he is proclaiming, what he is going around teaching, what the apostles were proclaiming, what the church is to be proclaiming as a community and as individuals is Christ. Above and beyond anything else, We are to be proclaiming Christ, exalting Christ, talking about, telling about, preaching about, teaching about, proclaiming Jesus. 
It's a huge, big, enormous responsibility, and one that Paul admits is bigger than who and what we are. That's why he says in verse 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The treasure is the knowledge and experience of the gospel and the opportunity and opportunity to proclaim it to the world. Though the message is glorious and precious, it's inside ordinary jars of clay. Pottery can chip, can crack and break and shatter. It's not the strongest. It's not the most durable. Why would you put something so precious and valuable in something breakable? Because by using us, by inviting us to be part of what he is doing in and through the world, what God is doing is proving just how powerful and gracious and wonderful he is. It proves that we can't save anyone. No matter how creative, insightful, inspiring, and clever you may be with the way you share the gospel with someone. No matter how great a sermon I might preach, no matter how impactful a Bible study you may lead, we do not change hearts. We do not convict souls. We do not save anyone. It is God at work in the midst of people through the working of the Holy Spirit that anyone comes to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. What you and I are called to do is to put kindling around the person's heart, to share knowledge, to share our experiences, to share the reality of what God has done in our lives, to share the truth about who God is and what God has done. Share the message of the gospel. Share what you know and the saving work of Jesus at the cross. And when we do those things, it's putting kindling around the heart for the Holy Spirit to set ablaze. And now if you read your Bible long enough, you know God doesn't need kindling to set stuff on fire. He's real good at it. He doesn't need our twigs and sticks to get the work done. But he invites us to be part of what he is doing in the world. It's amazing to think that he would choose the very flawed, sinful, broken humanity he came to save to continue to spread and grow the work in this world throughout history. Jesus said in Matthew 5.14, You are the light of the world. One unified light. It's not, hey, if you have a chance, go be the light of the world. Hey, if you're mature enough, then you get to be the light of the world. No, he's speaking to his followers. If you are a follower of Christ, you are a light in the world, shining to illuminate the good, gracious, powerful God who is inviting all people into relationship with him. This has been what God has been doing even from the beginning. What is it that we're supposed to be doing as Christians? Jesus gave final instructions to his disciples before he leaves. We read them. After Jesus rose from the dead, defeating sin and death and hell, he didn't just stop there. He rose from the dead, defeated those things, declared his power and authority over all of existence. He didn't just put his feet up and kill time. No, he kept doing what he has always been doing, what he continues to do, loving, shepherding, caring for those around him, teaching them truth. He knew a time was coming for the disciples when they would be on their own. They would have to figure out how to continue to live as they had been. Continue to live as if Christ was physically, tangibly with them, even though he wouldn't be. And though he knew they would receive the Holy Spirit to lead and guide, the giving of the Holy Spirit is really Jesus giving us proof that we have a mission. The Holy Spirit, receiving of the Holy Spirit is proof that we have a purpose on our lives. And that's what Jesus lays out in the Great Commission. In verse 17 it says, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. See, even at this point, Christ, they've watched him suffer. They've watched him die on the cross, and then they're locked in an upper room, and he just shows up, 
This is the exalted, radiant Christ. They have seen him raised from the dead bodily. They know the tomb is empty. And yet still, even some of his close inner 12, inner 11 at this point, were kind of on the fence. But it says they worshipped him. You want to hear from God. Come humbly before him, worshiping him because he is greater than anything and everything else. And he says in verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is greater than anything and everything else. We haven't read it in a while, so I think we're about due. Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth we're in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. What Jesus is about to say here in the next verse, it comes based on the authority of Jesus. It is not a suggestion. It is not just a nice idea. It's not just a theory. It is a command because everything belongs to him. And so he has the power and authority and right to make that command. Now, power and authority, we know. We've experienced enough of human history to know that power and authority in the wrong hands is dangerous, it's scary, and ugly. But not so in the hands of Christ. The great Charles Spurgeon once said, Power in the hands of some people is dangerous, but power in the hands of Christ is blessed. Oh, let him have all power. Let him do what he will with it, for he cannot will anything but that which is right and just and true and good. When we read a command in scripture it's a command from god and i think for a lot of us sometimes we'll read scripture and our flesh will kind of buck at it right kind of want to rebel we want to find the loophole how far can i take this god you say don't do this but can i do that other thing that's right by it how close to the line can i get or we say well that command, that instruction, that doesn't actually apply to me. It doesn't apply to our generation. It's a different time and a different people and all these different things. We make all these excuses why we don't have to. We can pick and choose the parts of the Bible we actually want to follow. We need to remember when we go to God's word and we take in God's word who our God is, that he is holy and just and right and pure and awesome and good. He is for us and not against us. He wants what's best for us. And so any command that he gives us is ultimately for his glory and our good. And so Jesus says in verse 19, it's a, it's a two phrases or two verses that many of us, if you grew up in church, have probably heard. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Go therefore, in light of the authority and power of Jesus, go do as you are going is how it gets translated as you are living as you are moving as you are working as you are a student as you are a parent as you are doing life do that and while doing those things while you are living make disciples the purpose of the life you are leading right now is to make disciples 
God has you where you are in whatever season you are in, whatever job, whatever neighborhood, whatever apartment building, school, family, friend group. You as a Christian are to be making disciples in the space that God has provided for you. You are uniquely wired, made, and gifted to be the presence of God among the people God has placed you with. You are in the places and in the relationships you are in for a purpose. Every situation you are in is not happenstance. It is not a coincidence. It is not by accident. It is particularly designed by the God of all existence. Every interaction, every day at your job, every one of your kids' practices or performances, every Uber or Lyft ride, there is an internal significance to all of it. Christian life can be called a lot of things. Boring isn't one of them. Because our days are full of moments designed by God for us to share the truth that we know of the gospel and to possibly, potentially, maybe see life change happen. To be part of somebody's story to where their eternity is completely changed. Jesus says, go therefore, go and as you are living, make disciples of all nations. Make disciples is actually the only command in these two verses. The going, the baptizing, the teaching, they are all done to support the command, make disciples. How do we do that? How do we make disciples? Again, we said a disciple is a follower, a, a pupil or apprentice. Disciples are people who have a seriousness about following Jesus that makes itself manifest in how we see the world, how we spend our money, how, our, how we spend our time, how we treat others, how we work, how we live. So if we are tasked with making disciples, first, we got to be one ourselves, right? You don't learn guitar from someone who doesn't know how to play. You don't learn how to drive from someone who doesn't have a license. You can't make disciples if you yourself aren't one. And that's why we started with becoming Christ-like. As we are learning and growing, we also help others learn and go grow by proclaiming Christ. But it's not that you have to wait until you have every answer to every question already figured out. When Jesus gives the Great Commission, when he says these things, think about who he is entrusting responsibility to. It just said in verse 16, or verse 17, some of them still doubted. Some of them still had questions. And think about the group he's talking to. He's speaking to Peter. Weeks before this interaction, Peter pulled Jesus aside and said, Jesus, I think your views of the Messiah are wrong. You're talking a lot about death. You're talking a lot about the Messiah dying. I think that's wrong. And Jesus had to correct him. Just days before this conversation, Peter denied even knowing who Jesus was. And yet he tells Peter, Peter, go and make disciples. Go teach them what you know. James and John, there's a town who rejects Jesus, who rejects the, me the message of the kingdom of God. James and John say to Jesus, why don't you just rain down fire and just wipe that town off the face of the earth? The sons of thunder, they had an anger problem. They had some control problems. James and John, go, and as you are living, as you are doing life, go make disciples. Go teach people what you know about me. Thomas, Thomas with his doubts, with his worry, with his confusion, wanting to make sure he could actually touch the scars on Jesus. Thomas, with all your doubts, with all your questions, with all your hesitancy, go and make disciples. Go teach people what you know, Thomas. These guys weren't perfect, and they didn't fully understand everything, yet Jesus trusted them, and Jesus trusts us to make disciples. 
You can't wait until you think you have arrived at the ideal level of maturity before you start making disciples because you're never going to get there. There's always more of God's grace, love, and character to mine, always more to know, always more of a deeper relationship to get into with him. And that's the beauty of it. This command to make disciples is how God builds his church. This is the way it happens. And while God doesn't need us to make it happen, he invites us to be part of what he is doing. You don't have to have every answer to every question. In fact, it's good that you don't. And that should spur you on in your own growth. The reality, the life of, the, of a disciple is one of constant learning and growing and repenting and pursuing more and more of who Jesus is. Jesus understands in the midst of all of this, the bigness of what he has commanded. I think it's why he says what he says and he kind of brackets the command to go make disciples the way he does. Because he starts with that reminder that he is in complete control over everything. Which means if this is what he wants, this is what's going to happen. Disciples are going to get made. Because that's how God has orchestrated things to work. Because he can do that because he is in control of all things at all times. And then he closes it. He, he backs up the promise or he backs up the command with a promise and reminder in verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God is with you and for you. This call to share your faith, to tell your story, to engage with the world around you, with eternity on the brain, you're not alone in that. He is with you. You have the same Holy Spirit in you and through you, guiding talking, pointing, encouraging, rebuking, teaching, speaking to you that the disciples had. You're not ever alone, which means when you are at work, God is near. God is nearer to your coworker who doesn't know anything about Jesus because you are there and you are a Christian. God is nearer to that unbeliever than they could possibly ever know or think because they know you. You're not alone in this because God is with you and for you. And on top of that, he's given us the gift of the church, of community. We get to do this together. We get to learn and grow and encourage and hold each other up together. How do we go about making disciples? It starts with you yourself being a disciple and leaning into and trusting the Holy Spirit. As that is happening, as you are engaging with the people around you, and you yourself are pursuing God in word and in prayer and in community, and you're actively seeking out being compassionate and loving and serving, all the things we've talked about this morning, and you're doing these things, you do it alongside other people. You don't just do it alone. See, that's a hang-up for a lot of people. We want making disciples to be a program the church puts on because it feels cleaner and easier and more manageable. We want it to be this sterile classroom setting. I, I want to help make disciples. I feel that, but I don't know how. I, it feels too big, so I'd rather the church take care of that. Let them teach about it. But that's not really how it works. That's not what Jesus sent people out. He said, as you are going, as you are living, make disciples. Because to be a disciple of Christ changes everything about us. And in order to help others grow, we have to be willing to share our lives with each other. We have to be willing to show people the mess. We have to be willing to show people who we are, not just the cleaned up, filtered fifth attempt at the fake candid photo, but the realness, the rawness, the stuff that if you did put it on Instagram, people would comment, oh, you are so brave. That's the part. That's how life happens. That's how life change happens. That's how disciples are made. Making disciples is helping someone else grow to be more like Jesus in their life. 
the great thing we see in scripture about making disciples is there's not one specific way or style or relationship and how it happens. We have Jesus and the disciples, this kind of top down where he's teaching them and he's instructing them and they're learning from him. But then Jesus leaves and he ascends into heaven after conquering death and hell and sin. And the disciples have to basically disciple one another. They have to help each other continue to grow and remind each other of what God had taught them. And they're also along the way teaching each other and teaching others. They're engaging with others in life, right? We see it in Acts 2. They're going to meals together. They're going to pray together. They're with one another. They share things together. When someone's in need, the community comes around and helps each other. And then later on, you have guys like Paul and Barnabas and Peter raising up leaders, training guys. But multiple times in Acts, we see the church have questions, have confusion on how to do things. And so they come together, not with any person having one particular right answer, but they come together as a community working to say, what is best? How are we going to best glorify Jesus in this and making the decision together? Discipleship can look differently and it can take lots of different ways. But ultimately, it's each of us choosing to help one another fix our eyes on Jesus, as it says in Hebrews 12. Help each other keep looking forward and keep stepping forward toward Christ. Making disciples is helping someone else grow to be more like Jesus in their life. Whether it's someone who's been a Christian for a while, someone you consider a peer, or someone who's a brand new Christian and they're still learning. If it's your kids, if it's your spouse, when we are intentionally helping one another grow, we are pursuing discipleship making. We are pursuing this great command and commission God has given us. In Jesus' commission, in the Great Commission, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Which means we take the gospel with us everywhere we go, and all people are invited in. So discipleship happens, yes, among Christians. We're growing each other, we're strengthening each other, but also with non-Christians. Because we want to see them be followers of Christ too. So we're building relationships with people outside the church, making friends with people and getting to know people who don't know Jesus. And we don't do it because we see them as a project to work on or treating them like the objective in a video game. But because they are made in the image and likeness of God, they have value and worth and importance to God. And you as a Christian are in possession of the greatest truth and knowledge that anyone could ever possibly know. And you want to share that because you love what God has done for you and you love that person. People want to get all tangled up in the differences between evangelism and discipleship and where does one start, where does one end, where does the next one begin. There are differences, but ultimately, if we strip it all down, what we're trying to do here is to see people follow Jesus. So as we are going, as we are doing this, as we are growing and becoming Christ-like and letting Christ challenge and shape and grow us, we are also proclaiming Christ in our lives and with our words. And we hope and pray that those who don't know Jesus will be convicted by the Holy Spirit and put their faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So why do we, why does CF exist? We exist, we do what we do to help us in becoming Christ-like and proclaiming Christ. So much of the proclaiming part takes work. It's exhausting, and it's hard at times. And so we gather together on Sundays and throughout the week to get built up, to get filled up. Because ministry is a lot of pouring out. It's a lot of giving of ourselves. And so we have these opportunities. We have this community where we can come together and we can fill ourselves up so that we can pour out again. We have this place where we get to come and be filled up to build relationships, a safe space to practice our gifts and talents and discern the ways God has made us to best flourish. 
We continue to grow and pursue becoming more and more like him. We continue to grow and continue to try and see where it is, where are the places where we can step in and be more and more like Christ, step in and be the light and presence of Christ in the world. We're building relationships with people outside the church. We're making friends with them. We're growing so that we have the opportunity to share with them what they don't know. It's a big task. It's a big command that Christ has given to us, but he wouldn't have given it to us if he didn't also have give us, know he was going to give us the Holy Spirit to empower us, to trust us with. And if we are willing to step into those moments, to pay attention and be intentional in those moments, we get to be part of seeing life change happen. Becoming Christ-like and proclaiming Christ, that's what we strive to be here. We're not going to wake up one day and be a million steps more mature, but we're going to take steps every day. What does it look like in this moment right now to reflect Christ in this conversation, in this thought, in this interaction? And over and over, we take each one moment by moment, and then we look back after many, many, many steps, and we look back and say, look how Christ has brought us forward. Look how he has developed us. Look how he has grown us. And as we do that, we're sharing, we're proclaiming Christ, we're sharing our story, we're sharing the knowledge and experience that we have received from Christ to continue to proclaim and make much of the God who made us and knows us and loves us so much, he sent his son to die for us. Yes, it is big. Yes, it feels overwhelming at times. Share what you know. Go and share and find areas and find opportunities where you can encourage someone in their own pursuit of becoming more and more like Christ. That is what we're striving to be here. That's a big thing, and so we need prayer to do it. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for this gift, this moment, this community, this place where we get to come together and learn and grow and challenge and encourage and hold one another up. You have made us to be the body of Christ, the living stones, stones hold each other up. We carry each other's weight. We carry each other's burdens. God, help us to do that. God, we want to be more and more like you. We want to reflect you to the world. We want to live in such a way. Be, be spouses, be parents, be friends and neighbors in such a way that makes much of you. And the beauty is you have wired and made and created each of us so differently that you didn't say that here's the one way to do it. And so we have these opportunities, we have these relationships, we have the gifts and talents you have given us, all of them come together and you give us these opportunities to step into, these moments and relationships to step into. God, help us to pay attention to them. Help us to be present. And God, give us a hunger and thirst to know you more and more, to dive deeper and deeper into your word, to dive deeper and deeper into our relationship with you, to not let it suffer, to not let it alter and fade away. There's more and more of you to know. There's more and more of you to, to learn of, learn about. God, give us a hunger and thirst to know you more. And as you do that, as you challenge us and, and shape us and grow us. God, give us a, a boldness and a passion and desire to see our brothers and sisters grow. And the people you have put in our lives, the strangers, the neighbors, the co-workers, 
Give us the opportunities and moments where we can step in and be the light of the world you have made us to be and shine brightly as we do. God, we thank you and we praise you for all that you have been doing in the midst of this community for decades. We thank you and praise you for what you're doing right now, for the growth and change and transition and challenge and gifts you are giving to us right now. And God, we thank you now for what you're going to do because you are faithful and you're always faithful and you'll continue to be faithful. God, I pray that we as a community will continue to humbly focus and fix our eyes on you to run our race so that we would grow in becoming Christ-like and transforming. God, we thank you and praise you. Amen.